This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair, Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall, the teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars, and that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Everybody and welcome to another edition of the Dice Tradecast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by our friends over at Blue Wire, the FFPC, and Bet Online. We are another week into the off season as we creep closer to a possible season in September. We are in the middle of July, and today I am, for the time being, possibly joined later, but missing my co-host in action, Dan Sanyo. So. I am joined by a lovely guest this evening, and it is one Chris Allen. How's it going tonight, Chris? Oh, not too bad, Nate. Thanks for inviting me on. I know that uh, we probably got some some good Dynasty uh, discussion in front of us tonight. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing me on and uh, looking forward to the, the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, today, our topic is going to be bounce back candidates for the 2020 season guys that maybe didn't have the 2019 that they were expecting and how they could possibly rebound in 2020 and what that could mean for their fantasy values. But before we get into that, we have to do our FFPC stat attack and our FFPC stat attack focuses on one of our bounce back candidates for the 2020 season. And that's Baker Mayfield. Your FFPC stat attack is Baker Mayfield had a 5.6 percentage uh, touchdown percentage in his rookie season. And that fell to only 4.1% in 2019. So in 2020, maybe some positive regression in the in the touchdown percentage category for Baker Mayfield as he saw that dip in 2019. Now, uh, before we talk about Baker Mayfield, make sure that you uh, get into the FFPC, whether it's a high-stakes dynasty, redraft, best ball, everything that you can ask for from a fantasy platform, FFPC does it. And they all always are a great supporter of Rotoviz. So make sure to check out the FFPC and all of their awesome fantasy leagues, best ball, redraft, dynasty, everything you can ask for. Make sure you check it out. FFPC. Now, Chris, let's dive into the conversation on some bounce back candidates. And I do have these two guys grouped together, but I think we can talk about them separately. We have the quarterback wide receiver tandem from the Cleveland Browns. 
Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham. Let's let's start with our uh, stat attack uh, focus, and that's Baker Mayfield. What are your thoughts on him and, and his possible bounce back in the 2020 season? Now, I I've been thinking about. Uh, Baker Mayfield and like the trajectory of his career at this point, because I mean, when he started off, I mean, when he came in and replaced uh, Tyra Taylor on it, what was it? That primetime game wind up snapping Cleveland's losing streak. And I remember seeing like all those, like uh, what was it? Like the, the fridges that they had around Cleveland that got broken into like immediately <laughs> after it happened. I remember all of that. And then 2019, like with Freddie kitchens, like, you know, he was still kind of a, you know, an unknown, but we thought he might be a cool guy, you know, coming from like working with Bruce Arians back in the day, they bring in Todd Monken, who was like a part of like Jameis Winston's revival, like down in Tampa Bay. And we all thought that now with the addition of Odell Beckham, they were going to be like the, the team in 2019 and you could not like even imagine or you couldn't even envision like just the complete letdown that the Cleveland Browns were I mean just an absolute train wreck and but I think there's still some a level for optimism uh, especially now with them bringing in Kevin Stefanski and I think the understanding or at least the assumption rather that uh, Kevin Stefanski he's going to come in they're going to be more like uh, what Minnesota was trying to was trying to do the past couple of seasons where I mean their their neutral game script passing is going to be below average I understand that but at least for me when I'm thinking about Baker Mayfield as a bounce back candidate I'm not thinking about just their neutral passing rate I'm also thinking about their utilization of uh, of play action and Kirk Cousins was I mean they were I mean he was using that at one of the highest rates in the league Baker Mayfield uh, in 2019 I think he had like a completion percentage of about 67 percent with play action but it was like maybe 56 or 57 without play action passing so it's like those like uh, I mean almost like night and day uh, you know statistics at least when it comes to Baker Mayfield I think it gives me at least some level of optimism for the fact that they want to in like they want to install that type of scheme to work to his strengths I'm okay with that. So even if it is the even if they do want to feature guys like Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt more, uh, I'm okay with that as long as the passing game is more efficient. I mean, because after as many attempts as we saw going downfield uh, that just weren't working, uh, trying to do some of these, you know, like to read like type of type of schematics like in the offense that wasn't working as well. As long as it's quick passing, as long as it plays to his strengths, which we saw he was able to do when he's back in college, I'm okay with that. And especially after last season, he had, I think, a 4.1% uh, touchdown rate, which is like just below average. I think typically the like league average somewhere around like 4.5%. So if we're assuming he uh, has some positive touchdown regression like coming in his, coming his way in 2020, I think there's a lot to, at least to look forward to with, the, with just Baker Mayfield. And we're not even getting into any of the weapons he has around him. Yeah, I I think so often we look at offseason acquisitions, whether it's the draft or free agency, and you had that with Kareem Hunt and and Odo Beckham. Obviously, Kareem Hunt was a little bit different because he didn't play for 10 games. But so often we expect for those those players to have an impact year one. It takes a long time to learn a new NFL offense. It takes some time to get some chemistry in the offense. And I think that you can attribute a lot of that along with some very poor offensive line play to the lack of success in the Cleveland offense in 2020 and 2019. So I, I think that an, an extra year in the offense for Baker, you know, a semi, you know, full off season with, with all his weapons. And then you have this, this team that I, th- I think should be getting better, which should play into teams having to respect the run with Chubb and Hunt. 
and all those things could 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 result in Baker Mayfield not being sacked on seven percent of his uh, dropbacks, which is certainly a, a hindrance to his fantasy prospects. Right, right. And I mean, and not to say that this is like one of the like the big parts of his game, but he is one of those younger quarterbacks that can use some of that athleticism in order to in order to like scramble and like gain pick up some yardage that way. So, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, I mean, is he going to be like he's definitely not going to be like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen and those other guys, but still he he can move like when he needs to. And so in the same way that we've looked at Kirk Cousins, like over a number of years as being one of those like, you know, dual threat quarterbacks that can kind of, especially in the red zone, like where, I mean, if it's not going to be a pass and we're not, and we're assuming that Nick Chubb is going to take most of the rushing touchdowns. I mean, Baker Mayfield can do the same thing. So I'm looking for just more production on field, whether it's like primarily coming through the air, but there can be some of those spike weeks like where he can also wind up, you know, plunging a one-yard TD in and screwing all the Nick Chubb owners. Yeah, and uh, we will go on to his wide receiver, uh, Odo Beckham. And I, I will say that there is still some question whether Baker Mayfield's a good NFL quarterback. Yes, you know, I, I think he's a good one. I think he's going to end up being a top 10 NFL quarterback in his career. But I still think that's, that's up in the air. People treat Odo Beckham like it's up in the air whether he's a good wide receiver where he's had a thousand yards in five of six NFL seasons he's had you know pretty much been unstoppable when he when he stays healthy and I do think that he sometimes players are a victim of playing hurt and that playing hurt hurts their yards per game or you know their their fantasy points per game stats and I think the fact that Odo Beckham played for so much of the season hurt that if he had sat out some of those games his line from last year would have looked a little bit better Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, at, uh, I think at one point, Next Gen Stats like had him on it was like a, a 81 yard touchdown or something like that throughout the year, where he was at he was clocked at going like just over 21 miles an hour, which was like one of the fastest like ball carries in the league. So that's like while he was hurt. So if we're assuming that he's gotten over what was the the core muscle surgery or something like that, if we're assuming that he's over that and like still, I mean, it's not to say that he's the same old Beckham that came into the league, you know, four, five, six years ago. I mean, but he still can move with the best of them. So while there is some concern about a lot of the other receivers, like eating up some of the shorter targets, I mean, I still remember Odo Beckham, like when he was still with the Giants, like taking five, 10 yard slants to the house. And I still think he's fully capable of doing that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just speaking from a dynasty value perspective, what would be your buying price for for uh, for Odell right now? Uh, for right now, are we talking like a current player picks? Like what are we talking? Uh, about? I mean, I mean, you can go any way with it, but I, I mean, I would say like basically like uh, startup value or even like you know around pick value. If it's like two first, three first, where where, where do you slot him at from a value perspective? I would say uh, probably a f- like maybe uh, at least one like maybe one first, two first, like somewhere in there. I don't maybe two first is probably a little bit overboard. Probably a first and maybe like a wide receiver two, running back two, like somewhere in there. I think is a fine starting point, and then we can kind of like hash out the names after that. I think it's a fine point to start at. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do think that. If you're just doing two random first, that probably ends up being an overpay. But if you got two first that you think are you're pretty sure are, are going to be late, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, and I do think that he's a nice buy candidate around that price tag. Let's go to our next topic, which we're going to go to another pair of AFC North uh, quarterback wide receiver. And it's Ben Roethlisberger obviously didn't play much of last season. So he's not really bouncing back from poor play. But I do feel like the fantasy industry is treating him as like, well, like 
he missed last year. Is he ever going to be the same Big Ben that we saw in the mid 2000s or mid mid 2010s? I think so. I mean, I think the concern that I'd always had, especially after, so when was it? So 2018, like when, I mean, he uh, was over 5,000 yards. Uh, but the thing that always like kind of concerned me was the fact that he had like 650 attempts or something or something north of that where he had the 675. Yeah. So he had like this like ridiculous number of attempts. And I, I, I don't think it's the same uh, the same effect, at least on a player. But I know we've had like similar discussions over running backs that come off of like 300 plus touch seasons. And we're expecting to see some sort of regression into either whether it's from. Uh, from a volumetric perspective or even an efficiency perspective, but we're expecting some sort of like fall off. And like when Ben came off of that 675 attempt season, I was like, well, there's going to be some sort of like, you know, some sort of drop in his production. I didn't see this coming. Like I didn't see him requiring like elbow surgery after like what a game or something like that. And uh, him being out like the entire season. So I understand like it's definitely not like a bounce back, uh, like, uh, you know, in the traditional sense being a bounce back. But he is somebody that, again, I mean, he's what, 37, 38. You know, we've heard already like a number of discussions over the past couple of years of maybe he's going to hang him up. Maybe it's time for him to retire or whatever. So I, I get, I definitely understand the concern, but still, I mean, this has been an, uh, this has been in a, he's been a part of a good organization or a good offense that we've been wanting to uh, harvest production from for at least like uh, for as long as I've been doing dynasty. I mean, so between the, over the last five or 10 years, Pittsburgh has been the team that you want to try and like get, get like usable assets from like whether it's uh, Antonio Brown, like when he was in his heyday, uh, whether it was, I mean, not uh, like even all the way down to like Heath, the tight end, like there were parts and pieces of that offense that you wanted. And for Ben particularly, I still think that he slots right into essentially where he was at beforehand. I mean, 5% touchdown rate, which is like just at average, like for the league or like slightly above average. I would still say that in terms of neutral passing rate, Pittsburgh is one of those teams that do like tend to be at least at or slightly above average. And then again, like when it comes to, and we're already looking at the running backs with some concern, whether it be James Connors, uh, injury history, the guys that he has behind them with Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane has like a little bit of hype, but again, just, he's just a rookie. So really it's all about the pass catchers. And I think you're, you're looking at a fairly decent trio, like plus the tight ends, whatever you want to think about them. So I'm excited about the guys that he's throwing the ball to. And if we're not really concerned about the injury, I think Ben is a strong candidate for at least being uh, at least a part of that net, you know, top 12 discussion for 2020. Yeah, I, I will compare Big Ben in his current situation to last week. I talked about how Matt Ryan is a nice win-now candidate because his receivers are better than his running back. And that is very much the case in Pittsburgh that I see a Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington as a better receiving core than James Conner, Anthony McFarlane, our running back group. So I, I think that the fact that the weapons are so much better than the running backs are going to lead to a high-volume passing season. And while that might not be the best thing for the Steelers as a franchise, it's the best thing for Ben Roethlisberger's dynasty value or, you know, fantasy value as, as Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, sure, you can maybe like express some concern because their defense is one of the is one of the best in the league, at least like from from like from my from my eyes, especially after they uh, let's see after they traded that first rounder for Minka. I mean that that offense or that defense rather that's like one of the top in the league. So you can argue that the the possibility for the negative game strips that you know we need in order to like produce the, the produce more volume might not be there as much. But still, if this is more of a pass first offense than anything 
anything else. I still think the volume's going to be there, and especially with the receivers that we just discussed, I'm excited. To, I, I'm already excited about those guys. So yeah, I'll, I'll buy into Big Ben. And let's go to Juju Smith Schuster, who. I feel like it kind of depends on who you talk to. Some think that he still should be valued at that, you know, top five, top six overall dynasty value. And some think that we are a little premature by putting him there. Uh, had 552 receiving yards, only three touchdowns last year, but that was with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges at the quarterback position. Now entering year four, he's going to get his quarterback back where he had 111 catches for 1426 and seven touchdowns in 2018. Now I don't really necessarily guarantee that type of a receiving being Mark in the, in 2020, but I do think that he returns to a 90 to 100 catch guy for 1200 1300 yards and around that seven touchdown mark. So I I, I think that if I'm drafting a startup, Juju is one of my primary targets in that late first, early second round. Uh, he's still very young, 24 years old, so uh, he's one of my favorite targets in Dynasty. Uh, but I don't really see too many people, you know, trading him for that late first value that he's probably being drafted at. No, and I think it's because, I mean, the guys that are going ahead of them, they do have still more of that excitement to them because I, I feel like even with the, even with Dynasty, we know that it's not about, it's not, it's definitely not about what just happened the previous season. Uh, it's about like their production, like over time beforehand. And also what we can, we can project over the next like two to three seasons, depending on how you view like your window for like for moving assets around. And with Juju, I mean, how can you not like look back over like his production previously and say that, I mean, wow, this guy, like immediately when he came into the league, he was challenging uh, one of the best wide receivers in the league, like for, for competition, for targets, he was producing on the field. And then if you look at least a couple years in the uh, couple, two, three years into the future, his future is still bright. I I mean, I don't if he was able to do that again, like with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph, and now he gets Big Ben back at least for this season, probably uh, will assume that he has another season along with Ben. I mean, I'm not sure what the what the main concern is, especially when you look at how he's used. I mean, you can look at some of the other uh, like premier like wide receivers in the league, even if you want to start like all the way at Michael Thomas and move down into kind of like that DJ Morris, like that type of tier as well. And you can see like how they are like they're used both like outside and in the slot. And Juju's used like fairly similarly. I mean, he holds a fairly high slot rate for the number of targets that he gets. So it's not just about the number of targets. It's the quality of targets. Targets. So if we're looking at a primary wide receiver in an offense where his slot rate is like north of 40%, I mean, sign me up for that all day. I mean, I don't care if it's going to be, again, if it's Ben throwing it to him or Mason or, De I mean, whomever they wind up, like whoever's th like delivering the ball to him, it's the quality of targets or the types of targets that he's getting. And if he's going to be getting some of those uh, shorter targets, like against zone or against a, a weaker slot corner or nickelback or something like that, then I, I want to be able to invest in that. And especially now the injury concerns with him are also gone. Yeah, I, I think that he should be valued more towards that, towards that upper tier. But right now, I think we have too much of an injury bias like in some of uh like for some of us that's suppressing his value and i think that's where we should be we should definitely try and capitalize on that now let's go on to another man who has his own injury issues the new new england patriots quarterback cam newton uh obviously only played in two games last year uh no touchdowns one interception uh so it was part partly he wasn't having a great start to the season and then he got hurt uh, but I, I do think that some people are quickly forgetting how good he was in 2018. He had basically 3,400 passing yards, 24 touchdowns. He uh, averaged 7.0 uh, adjusted yards per attempt, uh, his fourth best mark of his career. And so 
yes, I know, I feel like it's it's almost been two years since we've seen healthy Cam because he did get hurt toward the tail end of that 2018 season. But when we get healthy Cam, and it seems like you know, all these workout videos and the fact that New England was willing to sign him, it seems like we're going to get healthy Cam this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Cam? Do you think he? Do you think that his detractors are not understanding or not realizing how good he was before those injuries in 2018? Yeah, I think that's basically what it comes down to. And I mean, even for like the first like first couple of games, like in uh, like in 2019, it wasn't like a complete train wreck. He didn't look great, but I think uh, at least in week one when they played against uh, Los Angeles, I think it was it, like I was somewhat, uh, I guess, I was somewhat optimistic that he was going to be able to get past the was it Liz Frank sprain or Liz Frank injury that he sustained in the preseason. But then of course the wheels completely came off the rails, and then it was pretty much done for him there in Carolina. But regardless, yeah, I mean, we don't have to look that far back to see a good-looking Cam Newton. I mean, just like you said, it was 2018, like where he was still able to produce on the field and finish as a, I mean, finish like with a decent QB outing, uh, depending on like which like which portion of the season that you're looking at before the injuries started to take over. But regardless, I mean, now he moves to New England, and I think the other thing that were I think a lot of folks are I guess maybe leaning too far into is is the contract. I know a lot of folks will they'll look at the numbers and say, oh, he signed a you know a bargain basement deal that really means that nobody else wanted him. So really, I mean, it's it's really you know anybody's uh, anybody's call as to who starts week one. I mean, come on now, guys. I mean, if we don't have to even look too far back into the history books to see a a QB one in our midst. And the only guy he's going into he, he's going into competition with is a guy in Jarrett Stidham that they sat while they were ahead in a game for Tom Brady. Then no, like there is there is no competition here. It's not it's not Cam Newton versus Jarrett Stidham. It's Cam Newton versus Cam Newton. That's really the only thing to be said on at least on that particular front. Other than that, I mean, the only thing that I really have concern with is, again, since the signing was late, I will give lend credence to the idea that 2020 might be an issue for them because of the lack of uh, lack of a preseason, the reduced time that he has to actually get integrated like into that system and to you know actually work with his receivers and all that. That I can get behind. But otherwise, I mean, I'm I'm excited for him. I, I understand the fact that yeah, he's dealing with aging weapons. I mean, Julian Edelman is I think he's maybe just like a couple of years younger than I am, and I've just turned 37. And uh, but I mean, we have some concerns with Nikhil Harry. Totally understand that. Mosinu, I mean, while he is he's aging, he's also one guy that got traded like late into the season to New England. So th- there's pieces around him. And even if it is Sony Michelle or Damian Harris, I still think again there's some pieces they can work with there. But I'm more concerned with the pass catching situation. But and but we saw uh, we saw Cam Newton capable of executing in a quick passing scheme, the way that uh, New England was a- was able to execute that Air Coryell system, like with Bill Belichick there, that has some of the concepts or the structure behind it that has some of those concepts in it. So I do think that there should be some sort of I wouldn't necessarily seamless transition, but there's a path to Cam Newton becoming that same quarterback that we saw, or at least able to attain some of those heights that we saw when he was still in Carolina. Obviously, the same pieces aren't there. He doesn't have Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore like rising stars in the league, but there should be enough for us to be able to harvest some value out of him. So I'm still excited about him. 
Yep. All right. Let's move on to our last one. And this is an interesting one because I didn't quite picture this one, but you, you proposed it. So we're going we're to talk about it a little bit. And I'll propose why you might have been right. Uh, Curtis Samuel, uh, Cam Newton's wide receiver for a little bit last year. He is, you know, an ascending guy. He has had his uh, catches and targets and yards all increase over the first three years of his NFL career, as well as touchdowns. Uh, but we didn't quite see what we were expecting in terms of like a breakout being like the clear wide receiver two in the offense or being a fantasy wide receiver two, wide receiver three, only getting 627 receiving yards. So do, do you project a bounce back from Curtis Samuel in 2020? I think so. And it's not because at least for Curtis Samuel in, in my eyes, and this could be, again, I, I live in Southwest Ohio. I mean, I'm not, I, I went to UC. Okay. So I'm a Bearcat, not a Buckeye. But at least when it comes to the NFL, like I, I will kind of stick up for, for my Ohio State brethren. Uh, but at least, so, so with Curtis Samuel, the thing I keep, I keep going back to, uh, and I know like another, a number of folks have talked about this before and I've seen, I've heard it on other podcasts, is uh, we, we correlate air yards with uh with with not just talent but just like maybe unrealized talent because the ability to convert air yards into actual yards and things we can use for uh, for fantasy scoring and for fantasy points on field production is really the stat that you want to focus on but for with curtis samuel i mean he had 1608 air yards i mean that was like 10th in the entire league so we're talking about like you know he's he had more air yards than DeAndre Hopkins, but now of course he didn't produce like DeAndre Hopkins because DeAndre Hopkins could actually convert some of those because he had Deshaun Watson throwing to him and not Kyle Allen. But the thing I'm, I'm the thing I'm stuck on when it comes to Curtis Samuel is not the fact that now instead of Kyle Allen he has Teddy Bridgewater passing the ball to him because Teddy Bridgewater, I mean to his credit, I mean he performed admirably in New Orleans. He got the contract that he wanted in Carolina. I'm excited for that entire offense. But I do have concerns about Teddy Bridgewater under pressure, Teddy Bridgewater in the red zone, so on and so forth. The thing that I am concerned or the, the thing that gives me some optimism about Curtis Samuel is the fact that he does still have that dual threat ability. I mean, Curtis Samuel, he is a converted running back from Ohio State. He has the ability to be not just a deep threat wide receiver. I mean, we I think... After the, you know, for him being in the league for a couple of seasons already, he's typecasted as that deep threat. I mean, his A dot was 15.3 in 2019. So everybody lumps him into that Mike Williams, John Ross, Deshaun Jackson, like Ben, where the only way that he can hit is if he runs down the field and Teddy Bridgewater hits him. And that's the only way or the primary way that he is going to be able to actually recoup or we're able to recoup any value out of him. But the thing I'm thinking about when I look at what Matt Rule, Joe Brady, what they're trying to install uh, in Carolina now is not just the concepts of, okay, well, Curtis Samuel, you run deep and so you go and do that. No, I'm looking at the fact that they understand the fact that he is a he he does have that dual threat ability. We saw him get a number of carries out of the backfield, very similar to the way that Debo Samuel was being deployed in San Francisco. So I, I think that there's a lot there. They see those pieces there where they can use both Curtis Samuel primarily and also Robbie Anderson, like since they moved for him, they took him from the Jets and they, uh, now he's a part of Carolina. I see them using both of them as not just deep threats. I see them as being used as playmakers. And if those are the guys that you want to have, like the ball in their hands, not running those deep routes, but guys that you want either running uh, quick slants, 
uh, drag routes so that you hit them in stride and they're able to do their thing afterwards and utilize some of that 22, 23 mile hour speed that gets them down the field so quickly. That's where I'm seeing some of that excitement. That's where I can I can envision a scenario where Kurt, uh, not Curtis Samuel, um, Kirsten McCaffrey like, leaks out of the backfield, empty set. DJ Moore kind of uh, does a uh, uh, does an interior uh, or does like a you know middle route or something like that and clears out the and clears out the interior and then Curtis Samuel leaks across the right in front of a linebacker hits him with a dump off and he's gone like I can totally see something like that happening so if it's not that uh, actually motioning or like jet sweeps or something like that to actually put the ball into their hands and actually use the uh, use the athletic talent that they already have. Because you got to think, I mean, Carolina had one of the worst offensive lines like in in 2019, and they did nothing to address it. I mean, almost nothing because they traded for one of Seattle's offensive linemen, and that's questionable at best. But if they did nothing to address that offensive line, you can't tell me that an offensive like a coach and a off like in their OC knowing that Joe uh, Joe Brady coming from New Orleans. And also being a part of LSU's offense, we just saw what they did. It seems to me that they know that they have a deficiency on offensive line. And they're going to use their athletic playmakers in order to kind of mask that for as much as possible. So I'm excited about it. That was like a dissertation on why you need to go draft Curtis Samuel right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I like it, though. I, I do like his talent. I, I my only question is how much is his role going to develop or expand? Like, is he going to get the consistent targets? Which I mean, actually last year he did hit over 100 targets. It just he didn't do much with them. He got basically a 50 percent uh, catch rate on those tar- targets. Which part of that was having Kyle Allen, you know, producing those targets. Um, but before we get into a quick game of Rookie of the Vet 2019 Breakout Edition, I got to tell you guys about our good friends over at Bet Online. Sports are coming back. That's right. And so your your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get on the action this week with the big USC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, uh, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has future future odds including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Welcome into Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, host of the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting Rotoviz Radio. We love producing these shows, and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, loyal podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one-year Rotoviz subscription by using the promo code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into the show. All right, now it's time for a quick game of Rookie! Rookie, oh, the vet! 2019 Breakout Edition! 
All right, so we have three rookie of the vets for this evening. We're breaking down quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, there are no tight ends in the 2020 uh, draft class, so I, unfortunately couldn't do <laughs> 2020 rookie of the vet um, for uh, the tight end position. Um, but we will start off the quarterback position, and as always for quarterback, we assume Superflex doesn't really change the values too much here. But, uh, Chris, our first First question is Bills quarterback Josh Allen or Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. Which one are you taking in Dynasty right now? I still, I, I think I'm taking Tua at this point. Like I, I get that uh, the Bills are trying to prop up that passing game as much as possible with the acquisition of Stefan Diggs, uh, but still, to me, it looks like this is a team that really wants to, uh, like, wants to enforce that ground and pound. Uh, we'll win with our defense, low scoring, like that sort of thing. And uh, I, I I can't put too many other numbers to it uh, other than that. I mean, it's more it's more of a feel-based thing than anything else. I'd, I'll totally admit that. But I still will say that uh, when it comes to neutral passing rate, like uh, actually, uh, the Bills had, they were uh, slightly above average. I want to say 61, 62% uh, neutral, neutral passing rate, which is great. I mean, especially considering like how we look at or view like the Bills offense. But still... In terms of like what I can project out over the next couple of seasons, I mean John Brown, Cole Beasley, like being your uh, what two third, like second or third option, like in in your passing scheme, uh, both of them like getting up there in terms of age. Uh, again, I'll, I'll I'll look to Miami and see what uh, what Tua can do with uh, Preston Williams and company. Nine point nine, twelve point eight, thirteen point four. This is the adjusted yards per attempt of each season of Tua's college career. Uh, basically, for those who don't know, anything that's over 9.5 is basically elite as far as a adjusted yards per attempt. And his lowest was 9.9. And he, you know, if he wasn't playing in the same era as Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, he would have the record for <laughs> the best AYA ever. But... Yes, I know you could say Josh Allen's had some success. He was the QB six in fantasy last year in you know traditional scoring formats, but I that doesn't really matter that much to me. I, I think that two is one of the better quarterbacks that we've ever seen. The only thing stopping him is the hip, and uh, the only thing stopping Josh Allen is his arm, and that's a pretty big obstacle for the quarterback position. So I'll, I'll take Tua, recognizing that Josh Allen's probably going to score more, more points this year. But I, I'm not sure it's any other seasons after this year that Josh Allen outscores one to a Tagovailoa. Next, we will go with Aaron Jones or DeAndre Swift. I'm probably being obstinate, but I'm still stuck on Aaron Jones. I get it. I mean, the man scored 19 touchdowns and, yeah, it slapped me over the face like with uh, TD regression like all day long. But it's it's not just about the – like the touchdowns in 2019 were great. Don't get me wrong. I had him drafted in a number of spots. But uh, to me, it's also about how he's used in the passing game as well. And it's hard for me to look at the, the moves that this team made both at the quarterback position and basically anywhere non-pass catching – to, to look at that offense and say that this is not a team that still needs a pass catching back. And Aaron Jones, he netted a 12% target share in 2019. 
Uh, he was able to do, qu- I mean, quite a bit with it. Uh, I mean, with uh, like with the receiving yards, he was able to produce like almost like, just short of 500. But I mean, this is what you want out of a like out of a running back. I mean, we keep we always talk about like the these running backs that need that receiving capability. And I think like had he scored like less touchdowns, this is kind of it's a funny way of thinking about it. But I'm wondering if he had scored less touchdowns, would we think more of him? Because I think that's the one thing that people keep focusing in on is like 19 touchdowns, can't do it again. They just drafted A.J. Dillon, who, again, mostly profiles as a uh, as a short yardage banger, like that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not fully convinced that even if they do have to re- renegotiate his contract after this season, he's going to be gone. I, I personally don't think so. But I think that they need in terms of like his agility, what he can do like th- uh, through the passing game. I think that is an asset that Green Bay needs and probably one that they want to keep over the next few seasons. So I- I'll take Aaron Jones. So I'm going to state my case for why I'm worried about Aaron Jones. It's because I'm worried about Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, among some other uh, Kenyon Drake. I'm worried about the entire 2020 free agent running back class because no one's paying running backs anymore. There's a bevy of talent at the running back position coming in and in, in the, into the NFL next year. And some may say, well, all these RB1s are going to find RB1 homes, even if it isn't where they currently are. I have never been the biggest believer in Aaron Jones talent. Um, I, I think that he's good, but I'm not sure if he's – pay him franchise running back money, if that's even a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I prefer Swift as the talent. I don't fault you for going Jones because I think that he scores more in 2020. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean Swift because I think he has the clearer role long-term. And I, I just think that the entire 20, 2020 uh, free agent running back class is a question mark right now. That's fair. That is completely fair. And I think that uh, the the point that you made about the the path to touches for Swift is much clearer than Jones. And I will 100% give you that. Yep. All right. Let's wrap up with the wide receiver position. And this one's a close one. They are on. They are separated by one spot in ADP. We have DJ Chark or Jerry Judy. What are your thoughts on this one? Is it weird for me to go with DJ Chark? Like I, I wasn't a complete believer um, towards the end of 2019, but I'm looking at uh, like he got just north of like 20% like target share in that offense. Uh, there, at least in terms of what they drafted, so they bring in Lavishka, who I'm thinking looks like uh, profiles as like kind of a big slot either way. I mean, past Chenault, you got Westbrook, you got Keelan Cole. Um, I'm not seeing a ton in terms in terms of challenging uh, challenging DJ Chark for targets, and even if it's not going to be Gardner Minshew like after 2020 and the team because there are already rumors of them trying to like tank for Trevor so on and so forth. I I still think that Chark like he maintains that role, and even if they do wind up let's say quote unquote upgrading at the uh, at the quarterback position in 21. That defense is still, I mean, it's it's still one that needs to be rebuilt back to what we saw, what was that, 2017, 2018, and that resurgence. So I still think that there's enough uh, enough optimism around the offense and then enough pessimism around the defense to keep them in passing situations that I would take DJ Chark in this situation. Yeah, uh, not that this really pertains to fantasy, but that Jacksonville defense went from, this defense is so young, it's going to be good forever, 
to terrible within like two years. <laughs> like I don't right. know how this, I don't know how that happened, but uh, I will say just for the sake of not always taking the rookie year, I think I'll take DJ Jark. Uh, I mean, I, I was a fan of him coming out. Uh, he was vastly undervalued in rookie drafts, but then he only had on 74 receiving yards in his rookie year, providing that buying window. And then 1,008 uh, receiving yards and only 14 games, or again, 15 games uh, with eight touchdowns. And that's with an inconsistent passing game at best with Gardner Minshew and some Nick Foles. I think he takes another step forward this year with, with Minshew and then possibly another step even further with a better quarterback in 2021. So if Jerry Judy had gone to a place where he was the locked in wide receiver one with, with no competition for targets, uh, I could see taking him. But I, I think that Chark is more likely to be the wide receiver one in Jacksonville for three or four years than it is for Judy to just outright beat Sutton and be the clear wide receiver one there. Yeah, I think that's that's essentially where I'm at too. And I, I'm not. I, I need to. I need to do more homework. I will. I will wholeheartedly admit it. But I guess I'm not completely sold on Drew Locke to be like to be one to try and invest in that offense to begin with. So I, I have. I have still have questions like surrounding Denver at at this point. So I'd much rather that I lean towards the guy that I've seen do it on the field versus uh, a team or at least a team being led by a guy I only saw within five starts against some suspect defenses. Yeah, and they just have so many targets in that offense now. Yeah. It, it went from an offense with just Sutton to, or with Sutton and Fant to a lot. Basically. Sutton, Fant, <laughs> Melvin Gordon, KJ Hamler, if you want to throw him in there too. And not to mention, I mean, their coaching staff is going over a pretty significant turnover as well. So there, there's a lot going on in Denver at this point to the point where it's just, I wouldn't mind. I'll be, if I'm wrong about that offense, I'll be happy to be wrong. But at this point, I'm kind of out. Alrighty, that'll wrap us up for this week's episode of the Dynasty Tradecast on Rotoviz Radio. Uh, Chris, do you have anything you want to plug? Let the people know where where they can find your work. Uh, you can find my work primarily over at Four for Four, or if you want to come yell at me for my poor takes, if you you know if you're a Swift lover or anything like that, come find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight, Chris. I really appreciate it, and uh, you, you dropped lots of knowledge on me, uh, so we appreciate that. Anytime. All right, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much. Kadoosh!